0: Life is short, but art is long. He's gone, but his work is here. It's still relevant. We need to show how it is. That's our job here. And it's not easy with the younger generation because they don't know who Arthur Miller was. Mm
1: Start writing the book you've dreamed
2: about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci, and today we have a rather unusual topic that I'm super excited to bring to you. And we have a special guest, Mark Oliveri, who is a master carpenter, a mason, builder, and construction manager who has been responsible for major historic residential, archaeological, and industrial restoration projects all over the world, from Germany, Italy, and the United States. And Mark lives in Roxbury, Connecticut, which actually isn't too far from where I live in Old Lyme. And he is a member of the board of directors at the Roxbury Land Trust. But here's the surprise. <laughs> You're probably sitting here wondering why are we talking to a construction and restoration expert on the author's corner. Well, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. I'm going to tell you now. So, Mark has lived at this home in Roxbury for a number of years, and his former neighbor is the world-famous author Arthur Miller. And Arthur Miller's writing studio sat on his land that was pretty much adjacent to Mark's family home. And his relationship with Arthur Miller began in 1981 and went on until his death in 2005. So he knew him over a number of years. And he's going to share with us not only some very fun stories about his relationship with Arthur Miller and some of the conversations that they had, but his real purpose for being here, if you will, is that He is involved in a project to preserve and protect Arthur Miller's writing studio. And at this moment, the studio has been actually removed from the property because the property was sold after Arthur Miller's death. And so the family wanted to keep the writing studio. So Mark actually was part of moving it from the property. And now he is in the process of a campaign to raise money to be able to preserve the history of Arthur Miller's writing cabin, and you're going to learn about the cabin and what it looks like and some of their vision of the people who are working towards this of how they envision this incredible monument will be utilized and be a benefit to the public. So, this is a fun one, people. Sit back and enjoy. So, Mark, welcome to The Author's Corner.
0: Well, thank you. It's nice to be speaking with you, Robin.
2: Well, you as well. And I'm very excited to dive into this subject. So let's just start at the beginning. I'd love to know, how did you first learn about Arthur Miller's writing cabin being actually quite proximal to you?
0: (laughs) Would you share with our listeners the story? (laughs) Okay. Um, from the beginning, we're in the 80s, the early 80s, probably 83, 82, 84, something like that. I was a neighbor. We moved into a house uh, across the road and down the street from Arthur Miller's house. And we were connected immediately through a mutual friends, someone who had found us this place to live. And, you know, I had run into Arthur Miller because I had been working in this mutual friends workshop. He was an elderly, retired Bauhaus architect from Chicago. He was aging out and he liked to see activity in his workshop. And I was lucky enough to be asked to work there. So I had a place in which to do cabinetry and certain jobs I was doing. And he liked that. He liked that activity. That was also in the neighborhood. He had a, a circle of, of friends, uh, Calders, and he had been as I say, an architect, and he had commissioned Calder years ago for sculptures for buildings that they were designing at the time. This is probably the 40s, 50s, 60s. Mm -hmm. And this circle of friends would come through the the wood shop sometimes. So I had the opportunity to meet some interesting people, among which was Arthur, who was a woodworker himself. So he took some interest in what I was doing, and uh, that's really the way I met him. The connection to the property and his writing studio itself, which had been built in 1958, it was his second writing studio. His first was also uh, here in Roxbury. But uh, at this point, he had married Marilyn Monroe, and they moved to a bigger place, this old Yankee farm with uh, sprawling acreage. And uh, he built workshop there. I mean, a uh, writing studio there in 1958. So in the 80s, he had a fire in his house, and the phone lines had been burnt through, so they weren't able to call oh, the wow. fire department. Oh my goodness! So they called the fire department from my house. Mm. We went over there, and of course, we got intimate with the insides of the house, trying to evacuate a lot of artwork and valuables mm. that were in there. As mm-hmm. the house was burning actually, so it was wow. pretty dramatic. He was oh away and we had a continuing relationship from then on, which was, you know, a little bit more important that way. So his writing studio was a very modest building as he was known to be very frugal and mm-hmm. it was bare bones. He just wanted a place where he could keep warm, where he could write. It had a wood stove in it. So then fast forward to, you know, many years till Arthur dies in 2005, I think. Wow. Yeah. His daughter owns the property. At that point, do a major renovation of the house. We do major renovation outside as well as inside. We also kept up with the studio and mm. maintain that. Roofing, mm-hmm. that was my business. I'm a builder, woodworker. Yeah. I've, I said that already. So um, Arthur dies 2005. Rebecca buys the house, fixes it up, decides she wants to move on. Mm. So she sells the house. -hmm. And it doesn't take long. It's sold very rapidly. And she called me to say that she was concerned for the studio because it was sitting on the property and she wanted to control its future. And she was Mm. worried that she wouldn't be able to do that in the hands of the new owner. So Mm. she asked if we could move it. So moving (laughs) it, it's not a big building, it's a small building. It's 14 feet by 22 feet. Uh, Mm. It has overhangs, so it's bigger than that mm-hmm. but it's not too big to put on one of those wide bed construction equipment trailers wide mm-hmm. load right
2: right flights, flights, I've actually seen vehicle. like half a house driving down the highway right yeah on one of those so we have to lift up yeah. We
0: had to lift up some some uh, power lines and things so that we could clear them. It was a long trip into town, mm. but we found oh, a wow. place to keep it. The town was nice enough to give us a spot in the town highway department yard. Wow. So we, it, we we brought it there and this was pre-COVID, this was 2018, it was five years ago. I've been clocking Mm. it that way. Time has really gone by. And the studio has uh, deteriorated for lack of use and we had squirrels Mm. moved in. We've had had some maintenance issues, but keeping our eye on it, trying to find it a home, COVID interrupts Mm. our process of trying to find a home. It's difficult immediately to get a consensus in town. Sure, they will take Arthur Miller's writing studio as a gift offered by Rebecca Miller. Mm -hmm. But the stipulation is that it has to come with enough money to keep it up in perpetuity, uh, the physical building, and we have to have a plan for what we will do with it, whether programs or however we're gonna do this. So we, as a committee, we develop a committee of people within the county and New York and other Arthur Miller organizations. And we attempt to make sense of this. We find that the best site for this, the most logical site is putting it on the property of the local public library, the Minor Memorial mm. Library Beautiful. in Roxbury. Yeah, Not attaching it to the building, but it would be on the landscape there. Mm-hmm. So we had plans drawn up for siting it. We did all our feasibility studies. We attempted to feel out financing mm-hmm. and we were very unsuccessful at that time. It turns out we didn't know how to do that. Right. Yeah. I figured out how to move the building. I figured out how, how to get it somewhere. And now the, the responsibility really becomes, okay, you've done that. Now what, what happens with it? And I would have preferred that someone took it from there and, and <laughs> it was all smooth. That would be great, but that's not the way it works. So so we as a committee have become you know responsible for finding its home, getting it funded, getting it moved. Mm-hmm. Using the facilities of the Roxbury Public Library, the Minor Moore Library, was a very practical solution because this building doesn't have plumbing or right, any facilities right. for the public. It's a small building, but it's an important building mm-hmm. to to keep. You, you can't mm-hmm. let, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in the shadow of Mark Twain's house. And wow. actually, actually, it wasn't in too different a situation in that, They were selling furniture from it. It was like tax sales. And I actually had some pieces of furniture from Mark Twain's house in the house when I I was a kid that were just bought. That's right, because
2: he he had a house in Hartford, didn't he? Right. Was it Hartford? Yes. I forgot about that.
0: That's right. In Hartford. And now, if you look at that 50, 60 years later, it is... A, uh, an organization, a, a facility which overpowers and overshadows the house itself, mm. but it, it's been preserved. It becomes more important over time. Mm-hmm. I had seen that in my past, and I, mm. I saw this as well, the responsibility is that this becomes very important. Mm-hmm. If the question is ever asked, whatever happened to Arthur Miller's writing studio, and oh, I don't know, Mark moved it off the property with Rebecca, and I don't know where it went. We have, <laughs> so we couldn't have that. that no, that's, we couldn't have that. So there's, there's some, so there's a lot of anxiety there. Right, but, right. Um, <laughs> the most important part of this thing, of course, is, and I hope I'm not getting ahead of questions that you want to ask me. I'll just keep going, I guess.
2: Please keep, yeah, this is, I, I will, I, I'm thinking of some, but I want to hear what, you keep going first. Yeah. Okay,
0: okay. So the most important thing about this is, of course, why is this little writing studio, this sh- shed, people called it a shack, people called it a lot of things. Why is it important? Mm. And in fact, it is just a lousy little building, Right. but it's what it represents. It could be an icon for something greater, of course. And as time goes on, it will become important in itself. But in fact... It's too small to have the functions inside or programs inside. Mm-hmm. But it, So if you would envision something restored on the Minor Memorial Library as something you would walk into in a roped off area, you would observe yeah. uh, a daybed, a desk, a typewriter, a working daily library, dictionary stand, word processor, typewriter, wood stove, all this stuff. Not a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. A building that was very modest, frugal, very representative of the mid-20th century architecture. Kind of boring Mm -hmm. until now. Of course, it's very sought after, that architecture. But what is the importance? And maybe you can help and your writers can help us with that. Of course, it's important because what it represents is a time in Connecticut, in Litchfield County, in Roxbury, but greater than in in this town... There was a large community of artists that chose this area. It was truly a community. There was a lot of communication. There were a lot of uh, collaboration, cooperation among these artists, and uh, it must have been a great time. They chose this place from which to observe the world of that time, tumultuous 60s, Vietnam War, all sorts of things going on, the 68 elections, all, all the... Mm, yeah. Um, assassinations. Chose, yeah. Right they chose civil rights they chose mm-hmm. this spot from which to view all that and from which to to view it observe it influence and try to navigate our way through it mm-hmm. in the way that artists can and others can't. So it's important for that reason. That era needs to be...
2: Now, hang on a second. I I do, I want to interject a question here. Please. Because I had no idea that there were other artists besides Arthur Miller who were in the area. Who who else was in this community?
0: Okay. I have a list here of some. Okay, We're augmenting it as time goes on. But at one time, Roxbury was the locus of dynamic intellectual vitality and importance. Mm -hmm. Arthur Miller... Alexander Calder, William Styron, Harrison Salisbury, Frank McCourt, Robert Anderson, Joe Tillinger, Lewis Allen, and Jay Presson Allen, A.R. Gurney, Hanson Baldwin, Malcolm Crowley, Daniel O'Connor, Stephen Sondheim, and, I mean, the list goes Oh my goodness,
2: you weren't kidding.
0: No, no. These are some
2: of the most important voices of the time.
0: Right. And we still have, and are still... Attracting a lot of interesting people to the area, a lot of artists. Uh, Mm. So it's, you know, we don't want to lose momentum. We feel that this icon, let's call Mm -hmm. it, can help continue or help make relevant this earlier period where artists really were successful in turning the times. Mm -hmm. Say, for example, Arthur would talk about with the Crucible and that sort of thing, he would talk about how. You know, society as a uh, an organism would ride waves of calm to hysteria to figuring things out, maybe back to some calm. And he observed that. And you see in in some of his writings, and also he would talk about how you can see what's possible to come next, and it can be it can be good or bad. And what we mm-hmm. need to do is try to help things. Help. Uh, we have to keep going. We have to. Mm -hmm. perpetuate the
2: species
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so that's the Hmm. you know the broader view of the importance of of the building itself i'm really hooked to the building i'm a builder i would love to see this put in place and i I like to think that i i will to a certain extent to a great extent evaporate from it because there are very strong people and other organizations involved in the arthur miller writing studio Mm -hmm. that will uh make the relevance strong and in the future through programming. Mm -hmm. We've had our first program was the Peter Riley program in October. It was about wrongful conviction and the repercussions of that. And Mm. we had current examples of the same situation where, I don't know if you remember Peter Riley, a Litchfield County 17-year-old kid was accused and convicted of murdering his mother,
2: I did not hear of this.
0: Through a false confession. So on our website, of course, you can find that story. And I think you can stream the whole program that we put on. You'll see that Mm -hmm. these programs right from the outset are very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. We have the ability to do more of this. We can be very relevant. What we need to do is get this building in place, get our funding in place and get Mm -hmm. going. So that's where we are right now.
2: Fantastic, and we are putting a donation link in the show notes. By the way, for our listeners who would like to support this incredible project, this wonderful project. So, how is the fundraising going so far?
0: It's going in. It's going um, from. It started in a very strange direction. Mm-hmm. It started from publicity, which is not as I learn about. As I end up being in one of the chairs of a fundraising function, which I didn't really intend to be in. As I learn what the science is of how you get something like this accomplished, I find that it was a very awkward way that we started. It Mm -hmm. was with publicity of a desperate situation. We have this building. It's deteriorating. It's sitting in a town highway department next to snow plows and dumpsters. And it's looking pretty shabby. We're desperate. We need to find a home for it. We have to get it out of there. And Mm -hmm. we need money to do that. So we did get publicity. Which we have preserved on the website. You can see some of this earlier mm-hmm. publicity of our dilemma in the last year mm-hmm. of having to move this building off the site and it has no home. You know, it's in a, I called it an, an orphan building.
2: Right, you know, right. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, out of the starting gates, we had a GoFundMe page. We do still have a GoFundMe page. And of course, for something like what we were looking for, let's call this project. We haven't really even defined what the top scope, top realm of money is. Depends. This could become very big. I gave you the example of what happened with the Mark Twain house. Mm, Things can just become very important, very amplified, inclusion of other artists, inclusion of Mm -hmm. uh, expanding your mission. Uh, So anyway, the short answer is that we need more than a million dollars we started with a $1 million goal. A million dollars, okay. it's, it's difficult.
2: Yeah, yeah, So
0: of that, the building itself doesn't take very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, for $200,000, we could accomplish moving this building, believe it or not, moving it onto the grounds on a new foundation, restoring it, putting in systems that would be of archival museum quality to preserve what's inside, and to do that we figured 20% of our $1 million goal would accomplish that. The rest is an endowment that the town would require for us to continue the maintenance of this building over forever, per- perpetuity. Right. They and we also did not want this to be shouldered by taxpayers because when you do that, it becomes vulnerable to mm-hmm. political changes. Yes. Uh, sure. We don't want to support support this anymore. Funding right. goes away. That's not a good situation. It needs to be independent. Right. Yeah, so that, that hence, totally makes hence, sense. Hence the endowment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. did I answer your question?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, unless do you want to reveal how close you are to the goal or how far away you are to the goal? Or We're, we're 20% into the goal. Oh, okay. So you have that initial 200.
0: We do. That's Most great. of it comes mm-hmm. from Rebecca Miller. Mm-hmm. And uh, the building itself, uh, we have some other major donations Mm-hmm. We're now, oh, you asked me about fundraising, of course. So we are now getting more sophisticated. We've employed pro bono, a local resident who has expertise in this field, and he's oh, helped perfect. us to really, you know, identify and try to get the interest of some major Mm-hmm. You call them the, you know, the primary donors anyways. Yeah, the big, major donors. Yeah. Some big figures mm-hmm. uh, before we have a public, a more yes. public campaign with yes. some kind of an event. You know, mm-hmm. we, we'd like to, we're supposed to accomplish all this within a year. By this Fantastic. time next year.
2: Terrific. Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality, standout book with a real book publishing deal behind it that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach? In case you're new to the Author's Corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I help world-class experts write world-changing books that get published. With over 30 years of experience in the publishing industry, I have helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishers. Many have gone on to become bestsellers from Amazon all the way up to the New York Times, and others have increased their business income 600 times or more as a result of their book and partnering with me and my team. If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, go schedule a free consultation call with one of my trusted team members today. We have a limited number of slots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, go to www.worldchangingbooks.com forward slash application to apply for one of our exclusive spots. Once again, that link is www.worldchangingbooks.com forward slash application. Now back to the show. I actually have a friend who's, who's a pro at this, you know, helping organizations fundraise. And so what you're describing now sounds exactly like what she would say to do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Get people excited uh, you need to show, you know, you need to show you, need to you show have, you have a, those
2: big pillars so that the, the community can fill in the blanks in a way. But but you have those. Yeah,
0: correct. We have confidence. We have a very good board. But I can bring the let's say construction uh, mm-hmm. expertise into this. I've done a lot of restoration work in my past a lot. We have also on our board, you know, people we have a member of the Arthur Miller Society who present programming and are very anxious to expand and cooperate with us. With programming, so that becomes very easy for us. We have the cooperation of the Harry Ransom Center at the University of Texas in Austin. Mm. They own Arthur's archives; he sold them uh, before he died. Oh, perfect! Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I visited there, and hmm. they're very embracing, very supportive. Yeah. we and have UT all Austin of those. has
2: an amazing creative writing MFA program at UT Austin, so it's amazing. That's a good place to have Arthur Miller's archive. That's great.
0: Yeah. So we have all of that at our fingertips for programming. The programming part will be relatively easy to accomplish Mm -hmm. because it's easy to get people like, you know, your group, writers, creative people, artists interested in something like this. It's easy to do that. Enthusiasm is easily cultivated in your group. You know, it's more difficult. Yes, (laughs) I'm sure.
2: Yeah, and I just love the idea of—I mean—as a writer, I think just the idea of being a writer and getting an opportunity to walk into that space and just tap into the vibe, you know, (laughs) of Arthur Miller's writing studio. I mean, yeah, you know, what an incredible opportunity! Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, let me get you more excited about that. Part of our programming would be writers' workshops. Part of our programming would be writers in residence. We would Mm -hmm. have, there are a lot of people who have guest houses. This is a fairly affluent area. Yes. yes. A lot of these people who have guest houses, a lot of these guest houses are vacant. A lot of them could easily be employed for writers in residence, and they would have potentially the the ability to go and actually, let's say, sit for some hours in the studio if that was important to them. Yeah. That's a possibility. I mean the mm-hmm. possibilities are just use your imagination. Yeah. There's so much that we can do. Incredible. Supporting writers is the prime programming focus. Education and supporting writers. Education in the primary level, secondary level, all levels, but in the local schools. I mean, when I was a kid I read some of Arthur Miller's work as assignments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And It made a difference. I think it Mm -hmm. made a difference, not just because I lived nearby, but they were relevant. I was in the sixties and seventies, right? You know, to put that back into the schools to give the schools this resource here, Mm -hmm. we can set up a program for you. Give us some space, give us some time, give us an auditorium, we can do some magic. That's what we want to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Good resource for the community.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And relevance. I mean, I, I just saw yet another production of The Crucible a couple of years ago. And, you know, every time I see it, it just seems more relevant. Yes.
0: <laughs> the hysteria <laughs> again. The, right. The, uh, Since we are now,
2: I think as a matter of fact, I think I saw it. It was right around COVID. So it was either right before or right after things started to open up again. So, yeah, really relevant.
0: Yeah, conspiracies everywhere. Yes. And making right, yeah. sense of the whole world through this little vision of a conspiracy or a hysteria and seeing the whole world through that, reacting that way. It's so dangerous. And we're, we're watching tear apart our world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very relevant.
2: Yeah, highly relevant. And the way you were saying that Arthur Miller talked about like these sort of ebbs and flows of hysteria.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was fascinating. Another thing that... that He's
2: so right about that, though.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Another thing that he would do, or he and his community, or his... Inga Morath was his wife, a magnum photographer, you know, very famous photographer. She and he and this group would, you know, if I was there doing something or if I would run into some conversations, to me, as a young man, when they would ask you, how are you doing or something? Those questions would become big questions. You know, it's like Mm. how it's not, hey, what's up? It was, Yeah. so what are you doing? What are you doing that's important? Or what Mm -hmm. are you doing that makes a difference in, again, the uh, furthering of the evolution of the species? (laughs) I mean, the, the, the question This is what Arthur big. Miller
2: and his wife would ask you when well, you were
0: overdoing work for them? Of course, they never did that. But okay. when, you know, I'm a young man, you know, with some intellectual interest, but not a lot of intellectual development, when someone mm. like this asks you a mm. question, they become big questions right. because yeah. they become important questions. And, oh, what, what am I doing? Oh, okay, okay, no, I think I'm just a, I think I'm just, you know. I don't think i'm doing much well maybe you should be doing something more important in some way even huh. if it's mastering your own craft but yeah you, know, anything yeah. That you do should be hmm. done as if it's important even mm, if yeah, you're, with
2: intention yeah yeah even if
0: you're you know a, a sanitation worker what you mm-hmm. do you should do the best of your ability and try to make a difference even if it's in that realm, doesn't matter, whatever. Well, anyway, I, I Well, sanitation
2: but... workers make a huge difference, in my opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, oh. just go oh, one they... week without the trash getting picked up and, and yes. see how your life changes.
0: <laughs> and you can see what they do. Oh, that's yeah, an right? interesting one, too. To have something evident. So I said that Arthur was a woodworker, right? Mm, yes, so yes, yes. I remember yes. having a conversation, and he He was, I don't know, looking at a chest of drawers I was building or something. And he said, you're so lucky you can work here all day and you can, at the end of the day, you can see something, whether it's a, Mm. you know, a well-fit drawer or maybe it's not. But he said, at the end of the day, you have something in front of you that you can touch. I'll work sometimes and I'll end up at the end of the day with a pile of papers on my desk that I think I'm just going to throw away. And he said, this is where a writer is so different from a layman. He would say, you make a shadow on the earth. Oh,
2: what an image.
0: And he said, I, uh, again, he refers to this pile of papers. What do I do? Some days I can't do anything, of course. Mm. So he enjoyed mm. woodworking. He enjoyed that mm. as well. And he would talk about a sequence of construction or of fabrication or of assembly, a sequence. And he would say that is very important to a writer. Because we need to be sequential when we write to have things work properly, and so that we can go back to them and fix them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, I remember that analogy. That was his interest in one of his interests in woodworking. I love that.
2: Yeah. I love that. Wow. Any other um, pearls that you remember him in sharing with you?
0: In essence, what's written on his gravestone, which is here in town, right near where the studio will be, not too far. On his tombstone, he, it's just. Arthur Miller, 1915, 2005. I think the numbers are mm. writer. That's it. Wow. Writer. And that's it. That's it. You know, that's simple. Great. Huh.
2: Yeah. That, that, that really does speak but, volumes. Yeah, right. To, of the, uh, it's about the work, you know.
0: Yeah. And the ability to, uh, uh, I remember him saying, and this is something I can quote because I've seen him. He was filmed saying this. Life is short, but art is long. Mm-hmm. he's gone, but his work is here. It's yeah. still relevant. We need to show how it is. That's our job here. But And it's not easy with the younger generation because they don't know who Arthur Miller was. A lot of wow. them, I mean, even, uh, you know, anyone younger than 40 years old may not know who Arthur Miller is. They're they not still look.
2: assigning Death of a Salesman and The Crucible in uh, sure school? They are. Sure they are. Sure they are. I was going to say, I don't, I'd don't. i be shocked if those disappeared. Although, you know, who knows with all these book bannings.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know that play is being performed somewhere in the world at all times. I, mm-hmm. That's what I've heard.
2: Oh, yeah. That's I amazing.
0: would not be surprised. In China. It's relevant in China. Yeah. Death well, of a Salesman. So it's about it's about my father, too, right? It's about everybody's yeah. father. Yeah. You know, Willie yeah. Loman, this guy. Just, well, my father was a Willie Loman. I think most of our fathers... I'm a father. I'm probably a Willie Loman, too.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. you knew my father, Mark. He was not a Willie Loman.
0: <laughs> well, your father was a gem. <laughs> yes, but-
2: that he was. And a writer. Yeah, that passion for writing, that passion for words, I feel like that's something that, you know, clearly Arthur Miller shared. Was there any direct experience you had with him that really amplified that in your mind?
0: Amplified that? No, not like that. Because with me, talk shop, you know, talk Mm -hmm, about woodworking mm -hmm. or something mostly. If I presented an idea, it probably wouldn't have been developed enough where he would, you know, put it in perspective and, and kind of calm me down a little bit. If he presented some woodworking, I could do the same to him, though. (laughs) <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but uh, of course i remember visiting him once and in the studio uh, which was his very private place i had to find him there i went up mm-hmm. and i found him he was on the back deck and he was fixing the uh, desk chair which was a swivel chair old one wood when the wheels oh, yeah. were bad he was trying to fix this wheel and it was it was beyond repair but he was so uh frugal is the word <laughs> that i use. <laughs> Right, he's, I gotcha <laughs> he's, he's called other things but Other I, things, I like but these. frugal
2: is the, is the is the kind version Got it <laughs>
0: and, and I respect frugality, I, I do You see my mm-hmm. piles of junk and what I try to use He was notorious though So he's trying to fix this desk chair It was a hopeless thing he was trying to mm. do But I mean, I couldn't tell him that Because he was mm. going to keep doing it anyway So he's kind of like that
2: Okay, gotcha
0: <laughs> Other than that, I remember talking to him About, oh, there was a uh, some news about, I think Paula, my wife, was speaking Mm -hmm. with them about. Arthur, what do you think of the uh, fungus that grew on the grain in the era of the crucible that Uh, possibly uh, had created a demented or a uh, augmented cranial activity of these people to allow them to embrace this hysteria? mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think of that? Mm -hmm. And he he dismissed it pretty quickly. Did he? <laughs> I don't know if that's, I mean, we all have, what is it You know, you I it? just
2: saw, I know what you're talking about because I just saw an episode of a show called White Castle. It's a masterpiece theater okay. mystery series, I think. And they had an episode that referenced that. Okay. With the moldy rye. Right, moldy the, rye. The rye grain that had grained and that perhaps people buying into this idea of identifying witches, like maybe they were like having hallucinations because of that fungus, because it does actually eat away at the brain or something like that.
0: It distorts it. I mean, we're starting to assimilate psychedelics into our daily life now here. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm-hmm. is coming. This will be mm-hmm. the new CBD. We'll have psychedelics right. on the shelf and it's going to become mainstream and it's going to drive Wall Street, I predict.
2: Oh, wow. Well, that'll be exciting.
0: <laughs> yes, invest, invest now. Well, yeah.
2: <laughs> That could go either way, I suppose. Uh, yeah. we, <laughs> <No>. we...
0: <laughs> well, it's all called microdosing, though.
2: Microdosing, yeah. We had a we had an expert on psychedelics on not too long ago, actually.
0: <laughs> so yeah, no. that's very uh, interesting. Yeah, no, yeah, it is it promising.
2: Is interesting. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, we're exactly. off track. I know we're off track. So, okay. And actually we're also, uh, we're ticking very rapidly towards our 45 minute Mark. So let me ask you this. Let me just go ahead and throw you my signature final question, which is Mark, what have I not asked you today that you would love to answer?
0: Okay. Well, I've been rambling on, so I don't know what I, what I've (laughs) missed. Um, Let's see. What are some good ways that we can engage the general public And make them excited as excited as we are about the relevance of this thing how do we how do we turn that on and yeah and i'm i actually i ask back to you and your community really Mm -hmm. um that question because that seems to be you know the key one it needs to be relevant needs to be Mm -hmm. relevant to a new generation we need to keep we can't bury intellectual legacies and say oh no they're irrelevant now we don't because we end up reinventing the wheel. We end right. up <laughs> yeah. we end up spending all our effort and coming up with, you know, oh, look what I did. I made a wheel. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, been done. Yeah, right. <laughs> and if you, if you had, it's homework, right? It's what it is. Mm-hmm. But we need to present it not as homework in education. It needs to be presented as exciting ideas. Where they come from doesn't matter as much as long as they're there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Those ideas can't be gone to be redeveloped. So uh, what else yeah. have you... Do you think this will be a success? That's okay, a question. Okay, there you go. I've never had a doubt in my mind that it will be. Yeah. But when is the question, you know, right. and how yeah. much effort is it going to take is the question. Yeah. And so that's a question I don't know the answer to. How, how long is it going to take? But this will definitely happen because because it needs to, because when people mm-hmm. ask whatever happened to Arthur Miller's writing studio, there needs to be an answer, right?
2: Yeah, there needs to be a better answer than we just let it rot on the lot right. of the uh, whatever department, the, the Department of Works or whatever. It was.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and no, I, I agree. And I, I do think that what an incredible opportunity you are providing for us now and for future generations, because I also believe that this is happening and, you know, there will be a lot to be grateful for and, you know. Maybe a lot of people, I have another, maybe everybody, go ahead.
0: I have another question. That Good. Go for it. Me. Please. How can I help you make this work?
2: There, that's that's even better.
0: <laughs> Find these passionate philanthropic donors that can really get this thing off the ground mm-hmm. and have them get in touch with us so that we can make them more excited.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, what an incredible uh, way to carry forward such an important legacy, and what a wonderful legacy gift that you're giving to not only your community but to the rest of us by uh, your persistent commitment to this cause.
0: Well, thank you. I think I'm being pulled along more than
2: right. <laughs> more than
0: more than uh, garnering the strength to to push. Well, you know-
2: That's okay because you're still showing up. (laughs) That's what
0: counts. (laughs) counts. Everything pulls us, right? Everything is pulling us. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Sometimes the most important things are the things we just are constantly being pulled towards. So Mark, this has been not only informative, but absolutely fascinating and just so interesting to get this glimpse into, you know, not only this wonderful project, but into a little bit more of understanding Arthur Miller and some really fun stories. And so once again, I just want to thank you for being with us here on The Author's Corner.
0: Okay, Robin. Well, thank you. It's been nice being able to uh, communicate this and it's been Pleasant talking to you, and we'll talk soon.
2: Terrific. Look forward to it. Thanks, Mark.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.